Good morning, College Park. I invite you to stand for the scripture reading this morning. This morning, our passage is found in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended for above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for testimonies like the ones that we have um, been able to see and listen to this morning. Father, all of them testify to your goodness. All of them testify to your greatness and to your glory. They testify of your mercy and your grace. And they testify of your generosity. And the fact that you supply so much for us and give us so much. You put us um, in your body. You put us in the church. You forgive us of our sins. You, you make us brand new. Father, you take us from death unto life. You adopt us as your children. And how amazing these truths are. And I ask you, Lord, to help these truths to, to permeate our souls in such a way that it motivates us to praise you regularly, to praise you intensively. And Father, we want to see your name glorified among all the nations. And as well, we want to see your body, your bride, grow up into Christ among us. We thank you, Lord, that you give us your word to help us do these things. And so, Father, help us to not only learn more about you, that our fellowship with you would become more intimate as we know more about who you are. Help us as well, though, to be doers of your word and help us, Lord, to know how to proclaim it and to share it with those around us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, we have been going through our series on growing up. And in case you haven't noticed, um, we've had some trees on stage. Uh, And that is supposed to illustrate for us the expectancy, not only of us as individuals, but also as us as a body, as a family, as a church, to be growing up into mature manhood, to be growing in stature, in the measure, the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. You remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the heart cry of the disciple. I want to be like Christ. Well, that too is the heart cry of the church, that the family of God together wants to be more like Christ. You know, something that I've noticed a little bit about my, my children as they're getting older, especially my older boys, is uh, they do not look like the children they once looked like before. And, and there is a sense, almost a kind of a, a quasi-body snatcher type thing where you, you don't recognize the person who's there anymore. They seem to recognize you. They know who you are. You seem to have some kind of familiarity and a history with them. But you look at them and go, I really still don't know who you are. Because they've so transformed. They've, they've so become something different. And, and, and that's the idea of we as a church, if you could even think about or imagine, if, it's, if we fast forward five years from now and we are all sitting here in the same place, there would be a sense that maybe you know the person next to you, but five years from now you look at them and go, who are you? Because as a church, we've changed. We've matured. We're more patient than we used to be. We're more Christ-like in, in the way that we think and the things that we say and that which we do. And, and there's this transformation that takes place and we look around each other and think, wow, you look a lot different, and that as a body and as a family, we become more and more and more like Christ so that the families in our midst and the world around us begins to get a clearer glimpse and understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And I hope that's your desire, and I hope that that is what you want. And as we come into this passage today, Paul is recognizing the fact that God is committed to putting together his body for the purpose of growing up into Christ-likeness. Matthew 5.48, Jesus says, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 1 Peter 2.2 says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And Hebrews 6, 1 reminds us, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. It is the desire of God to mature us and to make us more like Jesus Christ. And and please recognize that we stand perfect before Christ. That if on this day Jesus Christ was to return, no matter where you you are at in your growth, that if you are in Christ, we are made perfect through him in standing right now at this moment in time. And the day will come when we will experience ultimate perfection in glory with him. And oh, what a day that will be. And so we have been freed to pursue righteousness. We've been freed to pursue purity. We've been freed to pursue holiness. We've been freed to pursue maturity in Christ. And it's a great freedom that we have. 
And as you think about what Dawn just said in that testimony about her involvement with soul care, that is our desire. Our purpose is to disciple one another, to bring up one another in the admonition of God's word for the perfection of the saints, for maturity, that together we would grow toward maturity. And it's an exciting endeavor. One thing I... I do not, or what I want you to walk away from this passage with is recognizing that this is an invitation passage. This is an exhilarating passage about the growing nature of the body of Christ and the fact that God uses each and every one of us to grow his body. How significant is that? What a significant life we have been given in Christ to be part of growing his body, of beautifying his bride. That is amazing. And I do not want you to leave here without that understanding. Because there will be a temptation for us as we walk through this passage, there will be a temptation for us to be wrought with guilt. And, and to think about what I'm not doing, and oh, am I doing enough? And, and some of you are going to go there. I know it. But please don't miss this. That when we look at what God does and how God orchestrates his body, how God puts it together, how God invites us to participate in it, how God empowers us to do so, how God enables us to do so, and how then God uses us to do so, may that be an exciting and exhilarating invitation to you to want to be a part and to want to do your part in building up the body of Christ. And so look, if you will... At verse 11, what we see here is, is before that, we see that God has graced the church. Verse 7, he says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. See? So Christ is the one who supplies everything that the church needs through the individuals that he puts together to form his church. And then verse 11 he goes on to say, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And the first point that we see here is that God furnishes what is necessary for a church to mature. God furnishes what is necessary for a church to mature. He gives gifted people to the church. When you look at these four uh, people or categories, groups of people, these are people that are given to the church for the purpose of equipping the body. The apostles and the prophets, they laid the foundation for the church. And the evangelists and the pastor teachers or shepherd teachers continue that work this day. One commentator, Kent Hughes, said this. He said, today evangelists are the obstetricians of the church. They are those who are gifted in bringing new births. And the point is, is that the evangelists are those who have a special gift, who are aggressive at sharing the gospel with those outside the church and of bringing in new people into the church. These are the evangelists. And then the pastor teachers are those who lead and feed and care for the church. Ken Hughes describes them as the pediatricians. The ones that continue the care. They lead people toward maturity. They instruct people in the way they should go. They protect them from false teaching. They give special care to the church's walk toward maturity. And we get this shepherd motif often 
about the fact that as leaders, we are here to guide people home. We are here as we recognize our eternal home is in heaven with Christ. That day is coming. Lord, come soon. We, our citizenship is not from here. And in the meantime, God provides for us gifted men to help lead us home. And in the process, there is teaching, there is equipping, there is training, there is counseling, there is admonishing, there is exhorting, there is caring, there is tending, there is all of these aspects, that which fit a shepherd. And God has provided these people for the purpose, look at verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The purpose of the saints being equipped is that they would do the works of the ministry, and the purpose of the works of the ministry is that it would build up the body of Christ. You see that it is not merely the leaders who are responsible for building up the body of Christ. The leaders have their part to play, that is to equip the members of the body, the saints, the believers, to do the works of the ministry to build up the church. That word for equip, it means adequacy complete furnishing, a preparation or training that fully qualifies someone. It is used here in the context of the edifying of the body of Christ to denote the equipment of the saints for the work of ministry. You know, the verb form shows up in various places. In Mark 1.19, we, we have this story of James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and they were in their boat mending the nets. That's the word that's used there, mending the nets, putting the nets back into operational order, enabling them to function properly. In Luke, this word is used, it says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained. In Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Put that person back into operational order. The implication is that the person being caught in transgression and sin is not operating properly in the body, and we need to come alongside them and restore them and equip them and supply them so that they are indeed able and adequate is the idea of making someone adequate or sufficient for something. And in this case, the believers are equipped to do the works of ministry. Those works of service are qualified as those that build up the body of Christ. You look at that, the works of ministry, and you think to yourself, what are the works? Well, we may qualify them by recognizing that these are works that build up the body of Christ, because that is their intended purpose. These works grow the church into maturity. Everything we do, whether it be serving gifts or it be speaking gifts, as summarized by Peter in 1 Peter 4, must contribute toward moving each other along toward maturity in Christ. And so when we think about ushering, when we think about greeting, when we think about care, taking care of babies, when we think about the variety of works of ministry that are taking place, do we have the mindset that I am being used of God in this moment, and my purpose here is to help somebody move along toward maturity in Christ? That's what the purpose of the works of the ministry are. Now we know from this text 
that they contribute to the building of the body. Therefore, teaching, counseling, admonishing, discipling are an essential work of the ministry. Dispensing the word of God and administering the word of God to one another. Taking the word of God, if you will, and deep tissue massaging it into the lives of one another. So that we not only understand who God is and grow in that kind of knowledge and intimacy with him because we know more about him, but also we're more able to flesh out his word in everyday life and also that we're more able to be able to teach it and share it with other people. How different might your quiet time be or even your time now listening to the word be taught? How different might it be if you consider not only God, help me to know you and help me to know this text, but God, help me to flesh this thing out, to meditate on it in such a way that I know how it would work itself out in my life, what it would look like, but also, Lord, help me to know how to take in what I've learned so that I might be able to share that with somebody else. Now, how amazing would that be if we as a church were going around constantly sharing what we learn in Scripture with those around us? Oh, what might happen? Well, lives will be changed. We can guarantee that, right? And and this is what Paul means when he talks about Colossians 3.16, and he says, let the word of God dwell in you richly, admonishing one another, singing to one another. There's this sense that as you look at the body of Christ, you strip it all away. Strip away the building. Strip away the chairs. Strip away everything that we have here. And all we're left with is us. Period. That's it. It's just us. What are we going to do? Some of you are going, I don't know. We're going to center around the word of God. We're going to meditate on the word of God. We're going to learn the word of God. We're going to apply the word of God. And we're going to leave from here. We're going to share the word of God. So this is discipleship. This is discipleship in the church whereby each member is speaking the truth in love. We'll get there in a little bit. But we're speaking the truth in love to one another. So that when you're in your small group or maybe you're in your Live 15 group that if you haven't signed up for, you're going to today. But you're going to be in a Live 15 group or your small group or your ABF or, or whatever ministry team you might be on or, or whatever home you might live in. And you're thinking about the people around you and you recognize I'm responsible for the people around me. And and we have a mutual responsibility to help each other grow up into maturity to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so that if I recognize an issue in a person's life, let's just say somebody in your small group, in that Live 15 group that you're probably going to sign up for today, uh, you're definitely going to sign up for today if you haven't already. And when you're in that group and you recognize there's somebody in this group that, that they're sharing their testimony and they just came to faith maybe six months ago and they don't really know a lot about Scripture. Now, you have two options. One, you could go, well, you know, the church really needs to address this. There's a lot of people out here that don't know a lot and we need to set up a class. We need to have a program. No, we don't. We need people who look at that person and say, you know what? I can help you. Would you like to meet with me for six weeks and we can go over the fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian? Oh, what would happen if that's taking place within our midst? If we as individuals are ministering the word of God to one another, what will happen? The text is really clear. We will grow up into maturity. 
we will grow as a church. See, God puts leaders together and gives the church in order to equip the church for the works of ministry. And minimally, an essential work of ministry is counseling, admonishing, discipling, exhorting, encouraging the word of God toward other people. Ministering the word of God to one another into the lives of one another. The works also include such things as, as what we describe as the one another's in the New Testament which if you were to do a search throughout the New Testament, you look for that phrase, one another, you begin to see that we love one another, we're devoted to one another, we care for one another, we submit to one another, we regard one another as more important than self, we serve one another, we have compassion for one another, we be kind to one another, we love in peace with one another, we bear with one another, we bear another's burdens, we forgive one another, we pray for one another, we spur one another on toward good deeds, we're hospitable toward one another, we encourage one another, and we seek what is good for one another, and that's not all of them. There's a lot of very specific things that God gives us as is his will and the way that the church functions and operates. And all those things are designed to grow up the body of Christ. And this work entails an attitude of humility and love. It entails priority of thought that we prioritize the building up of the body over our own pleasures. And Paul said to the church in Thessalonica... He applauded them because they had a work of faith, they had a labor of love, and they had steadfastness of hope. And what he was saying was they're doing the work of the ministry because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Then he says they labor to the point of utter exhaustion. In other words, they do this work of the ministry to the point of exhaustion, and what motivates that is love. It's their love for one another. It's their love for God. And then what keeps them doing it? What keeps them never tiring of doing good? What keeps them steadfast? It's their hope. It's their hope. And the recognition that we have a day before us where we will stand before Christ. And we long for the words, well done, good and faithful servant. What a glorious day that will be. But that work that builds up also implies doing the work to weed out what might be hindering that growth. And that's why we have passages like 1 Corinthians 5 and Matthew 18 that address the unrepentant person that refuses to give up their sin. And, and there's an eventual aspect where in care and concern for them and also for the purity and protection of the church that we cast them out from our midst. Paul often as well addresses the issue of false teachers and that we are to not listen to them and we are to avoid them. And we also must realize that all of these works are done in dependence on God. Earlier I quoted Colossians 1.28 where Paul says, Him we proclaim, we warn everyone, we teach everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. But then he says in verse 29, for this I toil, I work to the point of exhaustion, I'm struggling with all his energy. His 
energy that he powerfully works within me. Make no mistake, God is the one who matures the body, and we depend on him, and that dependence includes trusting him to build the church as he sovereignly prescribes, and he sovereignly prescribes that the church will build itself up as each part is doing the work of the ministry and working properly. That is the way God has prescribed and given to us the means by which he builds the church. It is a cooperative effort. And we must put our trust and our faith in him. And that means this. That means some of you may be very resistant, may even be fearful of getting involved in ministry. You may have heard us stand up here and talk about the service hub, and you can go on, on the website and, and look at some of the different opportunities that are there. And, and number one, you're fearful to even do that. And then maybe you look at it and you go, oh, I don't think I can do any of that. Okay? And hopefully none of you are what I would call deacon divas. You know, and that is, well, there's not a ministry that is exactly prescribed the way I would want it to be, and until that happens, I'm not going to get involved. So hopefully you're not there. But there's a lot of fear in getting involved in ministry, and we recognize that and we understand that. But the response to that is let's put off that fear and let's put on trusting that God knows what he's doing. Trusting that there was no mistake. God did not make a mistake when he put you in the body of Christ. He did not make a mistake when he put the Holy Spirit in your life. He did not make a mistake when he gifted you either with serving gifts or speaking gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. He made no mistake, and will you trust that? And then will you trust that he will empower you to do it as you step out in faith? Now, if you think, well, that's a foreign concept to me, putting that kind of trust in. No, it's not. How many of you drove a car today? It's rhetorical. Don't need to raise your hand. But how many drove a car today? See, many of us drove a car today. We apply this principle every time we put on the gas. I doubt there was many of you that spent much time wondering or worrying about whether the gas pedal would do what you needed it to do. All of you went into that with absolute trust, total faith, that when you pressed on the gas pedal, guess what would happen? The car would go. You trusted that it would be empowered to do what you were wanting it to do. Will you then trust that as you step out in faith to serve God, that he will empower you to do that service? It's scary. It, it is. But please listen. There are many of us who are not growing because we're not involved in serving. There's many of us who are missing out on tasting all that there is to taste about being in the church because we're not using what God has given us as good stewards to invest in body life and to invest in building up the church or to invest in being evangelists and adding to that church. And again, this is an invitation to be a part of something exhilarating and exciting. There is no better organism, if you will, organization on this planet than the church of Jesus Christ. And what a grace it is that we have this privilege to actually be in it. And then beyond that, in his generosity, by his sovereignty, he uses us in order to build it. Wow! And that is exciting. That is wonderful stuff. And as we as a church leadership 
And we endeavor to create environments whereby we can grow into maturity, where we can, we can make efforts toward becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And some of you may have seen this booklet. We produce this every semester called Growing and Connecting. Okay, we want to grow, and part of growing is getting connected. Matter of fact, we see that in our second point, that the church matures itself. If you look at verse 15 and 16, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Understand that the body has been equipped, and it's every joint, and every joint is held together. It's joined and held together. That implies that we are in community with one another, that we're involved and engaged in each other's lives. And in this booklet represents our attempt to provide equipping opportunities for you. We have growing classes starting up in the fall, which Dawn referred to in her testimony. We have CPI as well starting in the fall. Uh, those classes, we have, we have two to three adult classes that are going to be offered on Wednesday nights in conjunction with Awana and, and other children's endeavors. And we have our Sunday morning 945 growing classes and, and just a, another assortment of opportunities for you to be equipped and to grow so that you might be effective disciple makers of those around you. And then we provide community opportunities for you to practice. There are those of you who are on ministry teams. There are those of you who are in homes. There are those of you who are in small groups. There are those of you who are in ABFs. And we provide these community opportunities for you to connect so that you can practice ministering the word of God to one another. But as Paul says, this job is not finished until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're not there yet, and we will not be there until the day of glory. And so this work of building up the body of Christ will go on until then. And then he goes on to say in verse 14 that we would no longer be children, we'd no longer be tossed to and fro from the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The implication of maturity is that we'll no longer be like children. And one characteristic of children is that they are gullible. That is, gullibility is the marking of childhood. We could take two pennies and a nickel and convince a child to give us their quarter. One case that just illustrates absolute gullibility is when I was in middle school, I was sitting in science class, and there was a, a girl sitting across me and one of my friends, and the teacher asked the question, what matter is the brain made of? And he called on her, because he knew she wasn't paying attention. And my buddy and I, with absolute sincerity, looked right at her and said, meatloaf. <laughs> and with absolute confidence and with boldness, she proclaimed to the class that the matter of which brain is made is meatloaf. See, children believe anything. And, and that's the point that he's making here. 
is that without growing up in maturity, without proper instruction and training and equipping, then we will be like children just tossed to and fro. We won't have any discernment. We won't be able to know the difference between right and wrong and truth and error. And so this is why we must consistently learn the Word of God so we may be able to evaluate these things. Some have said that discernment is not so much about knowing what's wrong, but what's almost right. In other words, an example would be that there are many who say that we need Christ to be right with God, but they don't say we need Christ alone. Therefore, they're wrong. They're almost right, but they're wrong. And it's important for us to know the truth so well and we practice the truth so often that we're developing that ability to discern right from wrong, truth from error. And then he goes on to say, so rather, verse 14, we're not children, we're not tossed to and fro, we're not, we're not fickle, we're not following every uh, fad that comes out, but instead we're, we're those, rather, who are speaking the truth in love, the truth is doctrinal truth. It's not just merely facts about things. He's referring to doctrinal truth, the truth from Scripture. We speak the truth in love. Two things of concern in our ministry to one another. One is the content, and the other is the motive. The content, it must be truth. Can we tether the counsel we give to one another to Scripture? Are we, are we just thinking about things that seem right, and boy, whenever we say even it seems right, we should always remember Proverbs. It reminds us that there are things that seem right, but their end is death. Okay, so seem right is not a good standard by which we judge truth. But instead, can I take what I'm counseling this person, what I'm teaching this person, what I'm thinking, can I tether that to Scripture? Is this a scriptural concept? Is this a biblical concept? See, once again, we've said it oftentimes, every single one of us is a counselor. Every one of us is a discipler of some shape or form. Okay? Many of us do a lot of our counseling behind the wheel, telling other drivers how they should do it. <laughs> We're all counselors. The point is, are we good counselors? Are we biblical counselors? Because our counsel is only as good as it is biblical. And so can I tether my counseling and my teaching, can I tether that to the Word of God? Is it true? Is it true? And then it's to be done in love, motivated by the love that I have for both God and other people. See, we, we do not want to miss the concept of how important the motive of love is toward the works of ministry. He goes on and says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, does what? Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, we recognize that I am actively putting off and putting on and becoming more like Christ out of love for God and out of love for others. Because I want to be a better reflection to those around me of who Jesus Christ is. I want to be more useful in the master's hands. I, I want my life to be more in line with him 
And then as well, I want to grow in that kind of maturity and that kind of discernment so that I am better able to minister to one another and that I'm doing my part as well to help the body collectively grow and to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And this I do in love. So questions that we can ask ourselves as we think about this. One, is there something in here that I need to attend to? Is there something in here that I need to register for and to be a part of? Now, I do recognize that our growing classes are at 945. And so it's a little funny talking to you all about the class. But please note, it's only one year long. No one will save your seat, just to let you know, in here, but it is only a year long. We have other training and equipping opportunities through LIVE. We have other training opportunities through our Spotlight events, which are noted in here as well. We have other training opportunities through our small groups and through College Park Institute, which, which helps ground us in theological content and study so we know better who God is and know better the difference between truth and error and right and wrong. And maybe that's where we are today. We need to ask ourselves the question, do I love the church? Do I love the church? And do I want to see the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, do I want to see it grow? Do I want to see it mature? And if so, are there anything, is there anything in my life that needs to change to be a better participant in doing that? And please recognize the motive for all of this is love. This is the way God grows his church. And, and what should excite us about this is that God uses us to grow his church. We get to participate as the church grows itself up in love. What an amazing, an amazing and exhilarating and exciting invitation that God gives to us that he would so design the body of Christ that its participants, us, get to be with him and join him in this growing process. What an amazing, amazing thing that is. So please, don't let that pass you by as you meditate and as you think and as you worship our God in recognizing that, yes, he causes his church to grow. He will indeed build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. And know that he does so sovereignly through the members of the church. How precious, how wonderful, how glorious that is. Father, we come before you absolutely grateful, absolutely grateful, and completely needy. We depend on you. We love you, and we want that love and that affection for you to be seen in the way that we live. Father, if we're already serving, may we excel still more. May we rejoice in the opportunities we have to participate in building up the body of Christ. Father, if we're here this day and we're not even sure who Jesus Christ is, Father, help us to have the courage to ask. 
Help us to have the courage to, to come forward even and talk to some of the people that will be up to pray and to listen. But Father, as well, may each and every one of us be motivated to ask people whether they know you. To encourage one another, to love one another, to teach one another, to guide one another, to disciple one another. Father God, we want to see your church grow. Whatever might be hindering us, Lord, of embracing this call that you have put on our lives, help us to deal with it. Help us to deal with it. Give us the strength and the courage to come forward to step out in faith and to start serving and helping be a part of growing your body. And Lord, may you be glorified and may you be honored. In Jesus' name, amen.